Praise be Jesus Christ. The priest consolidating with me this morning is David, and he's here for a few days of retreat and recollection and to learn about the Byzantine rite of the Ruthenian Catholic Church. So we welcome him, and we're glad to have some priestly company. My text today is a combination from the Gospel. There were five loaves, and he fed 5,000. Name the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. One of the central mysteries, and in the Eastern Church we call the sacraments the mysteries, because it is through the sacraments that we unite ourselves with the Holy Trinity. And the priest of the ministry is Jesus Christ, the great high priest. And he became incarnate so that we might participate in the life of the life given Trinity through the gift of grace, which we say in the East Church is the divine energies. Now, this gospel is a sign to all of us that the Lord Jesus and the Holy Eucharist, the Blessed Sacrament, can feed many of us. There's to be no service or shortage that does not abound in blessings for those who receive our Lord in the Most Holy Eucharist. So I was riding in the car with Bishop Dino, and uh, I was taking him actually to the airport. He just made a visitation to our parish, St. John's, in uh, Seattle, where I was the pastor. And he said, I want to bring a topic up with you. So he actually did that. I usually, if the bishop says something, I usually obey. But he was my cousin, and he knew he wanted to upset me because I am a formidable enemy or opponent. Not really. He said, Father, he says, I want to restore the married priesthood in the our diocese, or in our eparchies. I said, why would you do a thing like that? Now, here's his response, a wise response, to make sure that our people always have the Eucharist, to make sure that the Eucharist is available to everyone, and not, not receiving the Eucharist, because they're insufficient priests. So I said to Bishop, I'm a celibate priest, I'm a monk now. I said, I have no objection. And then I was a boy, you know, I was raised in a Greek Catholic parish, and I didn't know if the priest was married or not. He did okay on the altar, and I got the sacraments, and that's all I was worried about. So we have that option 
and the Holy Father in Rome, he approved that. The greatest upheaval in our church took place in the 30s when the Pope wrote an encyclical Come to Erfure, and he in that encyclical said, we could have the married priests that we had, but we could not make married priests in the Western Hemisphere. Many people over that issue left our Greek Catholic Church, our Byzantine Church. That was a tragedy. After Vatican II, the popes changed their mind, and they encouraged us to restore our ancient traditions. Now, the Apostolic College of the Apostles, they were all celibates. Celibacy is prepared, is preferred in a priest, but we must not negate the ability of people to go to Holy Communion, receive our Lord, body, blood, and soul, divinity, for lack of priests by encouraging celibacy. Now, that's a big thing to think about. But in the Gospel today, it's sort of a parable of the Eucharist. That Jesus multiplied five loaves of bread to feed 5,000. And the job of the priest is to feed his people on the Eucharist which in our faith we believe is body, blood, soul, and divinity, Jesus Christ. The same Jesus Christ that sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty in heaven. He is truly present in the Holy Sacrament, the great gift. And the reason you were baptized, the reason you were chrismated, was so you would be a priestly people in order to receive our Lord in the Holy Eucharist. So you are Eucharist people. There's great emphasis on baptism, and justly so, because it restores your nature. What you lost in the garden is restored to you. You become filled with God's grace. You're sort of a participant in the grace-giving life of God. And that's a great gift. But it was prepared for you for the chrismation, or confirmations they call it in the West, which gives three gifts. What you need to operate at the liturgy, faith, hope, and charity. And they're infused in you. You can't shake them out. Even if you sin, they're still going to be with you, those marks. So one time I asked in theology, I was a, you know, sort of a thorn in the professor's side, but I had always questions about things, you know, and he was patient with me. I said, well, that what if a person makes a great sin? You know, a great sin. And he says, well, he says, I says, how is he going to repent? 
so he can go to the Eucharist. He said, well, he says, there's always sufficient amount of God's grace in everyone's soul who's baptized and chrismated to cause repentance. That was a great consolation for me. So I felt, well, I probably do things wrong. When you're growing up, you know, you're a young man, you got all kinds of problems with purity and all that stuff. And then I was uh, all constantly uh, bothering the priest in confession. But it was a consolation to me that, no, God loved us so much that if we even create a great sin, and any sin against the Holy Trinity is a great sin, actually, that he has provided for our reconciliation with him. And the greatest reconciliation is in the Holy Eucharist. Another point today for the homily. People in the world suffer. Dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ suffered on the cross, but it was glorious. He shined and gave forth holy grace upon the whole world, and he ascended to the right hand of the Father. But he did not leave us like orphans on the earth. He's always present with us in the Holy Eucharist, and especially in the sacraments of penance. When I uh, our churches, there's very just practices about penance. We call it penance, but really you get absolution from your sins. Penance is reparation for your sins. They're two different things. But above all, it gives you a peace of heart and a good conscience to go to receive the Holy Eucharist. And that completes your act of reconciliation. We must always be reconciled with our Christ and, and the Holy Sacrament, the altar, and the Holy Eucharist. Usually, even the baking of the bread for the Eucharist, and we use leavened bread, but it's made by either a priest or I have one of the monks make it, and I ask him occasionally as he praying while he mixes the dough and gets it ready for the Eucharist. It's a great privilege for him to do that. He's preparation for the Eucharist. And then that dough is only yeast, flour, wheat flour, and water. Purity. It's bleached flour. Sometimes in Europe, in the Carpathian Mountains, it's very hard to get like bleach flour. All the bread out there is sort of dark bread, but it's very good bread, I'll tell you that. Better than what they sell in these stores around here. But they always manage, the priest always managed to have a special white bread for the Eucharist. And on that lamb, so the priest prepares the bread for the consecration on the holy table. Well, you don't see that. I do it over there by myself. 
with a server or a deacon or someone like that, but I carried a square out of the loaf of bread. They're little loaves. Some priests use five and make commemoration with each one. I use the one loaf and I take all the commemorations from it. And on the, that little piece of bread, they're stamped, they have a wooden stamp to do this, Jesus Christos Nikah, which means Greek, but it, uh, what it means is Jesus Christ conquers. And he conquers his death on the cross and his resurrection. And he brings us to conquer death and give us life through that same Eucharist. And the priest, once he's done doing that, cutting out that bread, then he makes the other commemorations on the discourse, the patent, where we lay the bread for the living and the dead. And people sometimes give donations. They want to be remembered in these prayers. And that's a good conference. Uh, helps the priest to live and eat, you know. But recently the bishop says he's going to raise the stipend for a liturgy to $20 because it costs a living. Well, if you do or don't have the $20, I'm a monk and we will remember you in the liturgy anyway. We have other ways and other people who keep us alive. But anyway, the whole thing is what I'm trying to teach us about the sanctity of the liturgy and of the Eucharist. So, when the priest comes to the Eucharist in the Eastern Church, he says the words of institution over the precious blood and becomes on the altar and the bread becomes his body. Then he says the epiclesis, which is the bringing down of the Holy Spirit. So in the liturgy, when he said all these prayers, God is totally present. Body, blood, soul, and divinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a very sacred happening, a very sacred moment, which the priest has to do. And then we turn around towards the end of that, and we feed you, you poor lambs, with the body, blood, soul, divinity, Jesus Christ. Usually in our churches, under both species, both the bloody, the blood, and this consecrated body. So it's your body was consecrated by baptism and chrismation is now fulfilling its destiny to continue its journey on the earth with the life of God within it. And we should spend time. I know I used to, when I was a pastor, I, people didn't take time to give thanks after receiving you because they had prayers in their books and everything, but they were always in a hurry. And uh, unfortunately, they're, mo they're missing the most sacred moments that God is with them in the Holy Eucharist. Actually, it's the center of our faith life. But in order to live that well and receive the Eucharist well, one must have a daily life prayer, rule of praise in our life, and prepare. So I remember my grandparents, they were from the old country, and they used to prepare three days before they went to Holy Communion. 
But in America, you know, they always shorten everything up because everybody's in a hurry. You know, they don't have time for God. It's sad. But if you don't have any time for God, why should he bother with you? You should give God prime time, as we say when we're watching something on TV. Prime time. Your prime time we with God. And recently I've noticed that, uh, not in my churches, I was pastor because I would give them the business, but I notice people, they don't fill the church during the week, and of course we don't expect that up on the mountain, because we're a monastery, we're far, far away from people, but we get a few people here, which is nice, we like that. But there's churches in town, Catholic churches, you should make a visit. And talk to God who lives in your heart because you're baptized and received the Holy Eucharist. And meditate a little bit on the mystery that you are because you're united to God. In church, we have a great devotion to the relics of the saints. And what makes them holy? They're holy because they're baptized, chrismated, and led a holy life close to the Holy Eucharist. And some of them God gives miracles to. But the greatest miracle is the life of Jesus Christ amongst us in the Blessed Sacrament. When people try to take you or wean you away from our Holy Church, that's what they usually attack. The apostles believe, the church for 2,000 years has believed and celebrated. Our liturgy itself is about 2,000 years old. We haven't changed anything. We're not much good about changing things. Not even to give you more time. What you need is more time in prayer with God. So when the Eucharist comes to you, Jesus comes to you, your heart will grow in, in love for God. The, the monks here are hesychas. We practice the prayer of the heart. The most precious time of the prayer of the heart is when you receive the Holy Eucharist and God and all his grace is in your most being. What a privileged people you are. And that's why priests must respect you, bishops respect you, you, know, you should be always respected because of your Christian dignity. There's many who are trying to destroy Christianity. That's sad. Stand up for Christ. Stand up for our Lord the Eucharist. When Jesus is on the cross and suffering in John 22, the last chapter almost, it's about the last chapter. It is the last chapter. At the foot of the cross was Our Lady, Mary Magdalene, uh, whose feast we celebrate this weekend. The teenage disciple, John, a little boy, he ran away and his clothes fell off of him. Sort of funny. They were the only the brave ones to stand there to resist the authority, so-called authorities. Our government 
It's not Christian. Uh, I used to think it was based on the Judo-Christian tradition. I don't think so anymore. It is going to. It's, it's slowly trying to uh, work on the Catholics to free them. I remember when Horace Mann, the founders of the public school system, said he was going to found the public school system to free people from their superstition. He meant from their religion. In the Constitution, you're guaranteed your religious life. You have the right to follow your conscience. Don't let anybody, politician or other, separate you from the love of God. The love of God, the desire with unity in the Holy Spirit, and the gifts of the Holy Eucharist, sanctify you and make you a saint. And you will be in heaven praying for all of us in the glory of true happiness because the hope and the sacrament of the church has brought you to that position. There is nothing like a man or woman fully mature in Christ who is patient, loving, and kind, and gentle because the Holy Spirit is walking with them every moment, who comes to the church and prostrates before the holy gifts and eats the body and blood of the Lord and says with Paul, I live now, not I, but Christ lives in me. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen.